Uh, so as far as I understand, I can say whatever I want this morning and be excused for it. So this is going to be an interesting morning. No, I'm uh, glad to kind of pinch it here. Um, the very last college course that I took was a great course. It was uh, about reading novels that took place in cities, and part of the, uh, the work of the course, I don't know how we got credit for this as a college course, but was to go and eat dinner in, in different areas of San Francisco just to get a feel for the city. That was our college work, to read books and eat in the city. It's a pretty, pretty cool last college course, and it's one of those professors that you just love. He's, uh, you know, you call him by his first name, his name's Thomas. He's one of those guys that would just kind of like talk to you during class, and we'd kind of chat about whatever. And this being my last college course ever, I, I remember sitting in the class, and he kind of asked me, so Zach, what, <laughs> what are you going to do with your life now? Uh, you know, this is your last course, and what are you going to do? And, of course, I had no idea what I'm going to do with my life at that point. And uh, I thought, what could I say that would be really clever, you know, I'm thinking. So I come up with it, and I say, you know what, Thomas? I want to be honest. That's what I said. I want to be honest. He's like, oh, really? All right. <laughs> and, but that was true. I really wanted, I think more than anything, to live an honest life to strip away the pretense, the charade, the falsity, to be real, to live a real life. But you know, that's really hard. It's really hard to live authentically. It's hard not to hide. Ever since Adam and Eve, we've been hiding. We're afraid of being exposed. And more than just being exposed, I, I think it's really hard to even know who we are to really be honest with ourselves, to, to know what it is that we really desire, really think, or really mean. In some ways, we're mysteries unto ourselves. We're a mixed bag of motives and fears and hopes. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah said it well. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, I'm convinced that we can't live an honest, truthful, authentic life on our own. I don't think we were meant to do it on our, by ourselves. That's the whole problem. This, this morning, we'll see how the Spirit helps us to lean into truthfully living, to live truthful lives, to live as we were meant to live, knowing the truth about ourselves and knowing the wonderful truth about our God. So I'm going to invite you to, to open up to John 14, verses 15 through 21 with me. If you happen to be following along in the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 1068. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says this. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. 
Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Spirit of truth, open our eyes to one that only you can show us. Use my words, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all our hearts. May they be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we're kind of jumping right in here to a long discourse that Jesus gives with, uh, over the mill, uh, his last mill, uh, his last evening with his disciples. And John, the Gospel of John, gives a big portion uh, of the Gospel to Jesus' words to his disciples through this long discourse. Uh, this was the night he was to be betrayed by, uh, by Judas. And this uh, portion that we just read occurs after he had already washed the disciples' feet. And this occurs actually after Judas had left to go betray Jesus. Jesus is uh, preparing his disciples for his impending absence. He says in 1333, where I'm going, you cannot come. I think he's actually also preparing them for his uh, longer absence uh, that will follow the ascension. Anyway, right before our passage, Jesus astonishes his disciples with some pretty radical statements about who he is in relation to the Father. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And just in case they weren't astonished, confused, or bewildered enough, then he began speaking about uh, a counselor. The parakletos, the, the Holy Spirit, who will be with us and in us. Jesus speaks of how we are brought into the life shared by Jesus and the Father through the Spirit. It's it's phenomenal, radical stuff, mind-blowing stuff. How can this possibly happen? Jesus breaks it down here, breaks it down for us a little bit here. So I want us to look with care uh, at the dynamics of this gift of the Spirit. First point I want to make is that the Holy Spirit is a gift. Look at uh, verse 16, 14, 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counselor. A gift from the Father, but mediated through the Son. He will give. Not something that's already there that just needs to be kind of woken up, but it has to be received. Not earned or deserved, but the gracious gift of God the Father through the Son. And you can actually start to to see uh, in a Trinitarian sense how the Father and the Son are working together in concert in mission together to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Father, through the Son, is giving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's for those who have put their trust in Jesus, for those who love Jesus. And it's free. It just requires open hands, a willingness to receive. And then, uh, crucially, we're given a couple descriptors of this gift of the Spirit and the Spirit's work. Uh, In there's tons of different translations for the, uh, for the word parakletas. Uh, I think in the NIV, it's, it's counselor. In the NRSV, it's advocate. I've seen it translated as refresher. Eugene Peterson in the message translated, tra- translates it as 
a friend. It could be translated comforter, helper. It's hard to kind of get at all the meanings of, of the word. In fact, in, 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 in antiquity, there's a reference to the parakletos uh, as being a sort of legal counsel. So you could, I guess, translate it as lawyer, but I don't think anybody wants to translate it as lawyer because that just does not uh, sound as appealing, right, as some of those other things. Plus, it's free, so lawyer and free doesn't, it never works together. <laughs> Literally, if you translate the word, it means um, the one who is, parakletos means the one who is called to be with you. The one called to be with you. I like using the prepositions with and for. So the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, is, is he who is with us and advocating for us. With us and for us. You could think about that for a long time. The Spirit is with us and for us. Now it's important to realize that the Spirit, the, the parakletos, is not like a general thing or a general spirit but a distinct person in himself. He's not another form of the father or the son, but a distinct person. The masculine pronoun is actually used in the Greek. So the spirit should not be referred to as it. It's not it. In the Greek, it's clearly a a masculine pronoun, he. Of course, God is not male. That's not what we're saying. But I think the male, uh, the masculine pronoun helps us with uh, knowing that it's, it's personal. It's not just this kind of nebulous spirit. It, uh, the spirit is personal. It's a person. He's a person. I slip into that it language as well. Now, Jesus fills out the description of, of the parakletos by saying that this is the spirit of truth. So he is the one who comes alongside us and leads us to the truth. Now, if you're paying attention in John's gospel, where has spirit and truth come together before? Anybody remember that? If we think back to John 4, with Jesus' encounter uh, with the Samaritan woman, he explains in 4.23, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I believe John 4 is foreshadowing to this gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is he who enables true worship of God. And he does this, as we'll see, uh, by showing us the truth about ourselves and the truth about who God is in Jesus Christ. We'll we'll, we'll go to that uh, a little bit later. Now, a couple points uh, that we really need to to hone in on. Uh, uh, Jesus tells us that he will be with us. In 4.17, he says, But you know him, speaking of the Spirit, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be a known presence in our lives. Not an imagined comfort, but real. A real person in our lives. Uh, Invisible, uh, of course. Unseen. The world will have a hard time figuring this out. If If you ever talk to people who aren't following Jesus about the Holy Spirit, you know, speaking to you or something, you, you realize what it means, how difficult it is for the world to, to kind of understand that there's an invisible presence speaking to, speaking to you. Uh, so, again, the, the Spirit is not theoretically known, academically known, but relationally known. And the Spirit is with us, 
uh, not, uh, not far away. That's huge. As close in proximity as is possible. The uh, songwriter David Crowder has a great lyric. He says, uh, speaking of, of the spirit, that uh, he is closer than our skin. He is with us. He is in us. It's a little bit mystical, I, I, I grant that. But his grandeur, God's grandeur, finds a home in us. The spirit of truth is with us. Again, it's not theoretical academic knowledge. It's relational knowledge. It's proximity, closeness. Now, I have to mention this. So we just sang a song that included the lyrics, Holy Spirit, come. Which, realizing that the Spirit is with us, why do we ask the Spirit to come to us, right? And this is in our, our language all the time, and it's a great song. I, I, you know, the worship leader needs to be reprimanded for picking that song out, but... Um, <laughs> No, no, it's a great song, and I, I'm not saying it's, it's bad to ask for the Holy Spirit to come, um, but it kind of shows us that maybe sometimes we slip out of the awareness that the Spirit is always with us. There's no, like, incremental presence of the Spirit. The Spirit is always all with us and for us. There's no change there. I think the problem, you know, of course, our knowing, our relational knowing of the Spirit comes kind of in fits and starts, at least in my experience it does. And the problem is not with the Spirit. The Spirit's presence, as I've said, is enduring. It's a little bit like a television antenna. Does anybody use a television antenna? I still proudly use a television antenna. We've got a couple, actually a lot of you. It's nice with the digital antennas, right? It's a lot better. But... Um, it's amazing to realize that all these, these waves, these TV broadcasts, uh, I guess airwaves you would call them, are in the air. They're always present. Does it mean we're always receptive to it? Does it mean the TV is always on? Does it mean we are in the place to receive uh, uh, the frequencies? Uh, no, it doesn't. But that doesn't diminish its presence. The Spirit, it's a rough analogy to the Spirit. The Spirit's always there. It's more a matter, are we attentive to, to what the Spirit is saying, to what the Spirit is doing, to the Spirit's uh, close proximity with us? He's always receptive to us. It's a matter of if we're receptive to him. And don't miss the part here in the verse where it says uh, that the Spirit will be with you forever. To be with you forever. The Spirit will be with you Forever. Through the ups and downs of life, nine million years from now, he will not leave us orphaned. He will be with you forever. So he's with us, for us, forever. Always wanting to bring us to the truth. He's not like a favorite uncle that comes here and there. He's always there, wanting to bring us into the truth. Always there for us. I forget, it's a simple truth, right? God is with us always, but it's revolutionary. That changes your life. Always desiring to bring us to the truth. It always will be. Advocating for us. Counseling us, comforting us. So the Spirit is with us, leading us to the truth forever. And this is the truth to which the Spirit brings us. He brings us awareness, knowledge, of ourselves and our predicament, that we are in captivity to sin, 
He gives us light in the darkness. The Gospel of John is filled with light-dark imagery. Um, John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In 8.12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The world is a dark place. We're dark. We, we have trouble understanding the darkness in us. Like I said, we're, uh, our hearts are deceptive things. But Jesus is the light of the world that illuminates ourselves to ourselves. Um, you see a constant struggle in John between many of the Pharisees who just can't get it uh, when it comes to Jesus. Um, because it requires a new way of seeing, a way of seeing brought about by the Spirit. We need God to be able to see God. John 3, I think, gets at it pretty good. Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus at night, says this, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus is confused, understandably, about this. 3, 5 says, I tell you the truth, Jesus does, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. The Spirit allows us to see things truthfully, to see things as they are, not from our meager human perspective, but from the perspective of God. Or else we're in the dark. So it's a new way of seeing, this kind of knowing through the Spirit. It's, it's like being born again. It's, it's like seeing things totally fresh and new. It's a new way of life. We can't do it on our own. We need God's help to see things as he does. We just don't have the capacity. I... I in high school, I realized I needed glasses. That was when I was on the golf team, and I, I couldn't see my golf ball anymore. Mostly because I hit it all over the place. But, you know, like, I had trouble finding, uh, you know, just my golf ball. And I told my mom, she said, oh, you probably need glasses. And I went to the eye doctor, and like, yeah, you need glasses big time. And it, I, I see glasses out there as I look at you, so I know this is probably a common experience. You remember when you first put on those glasses? Anybody remember that? If you're... If you're uh, Nearsighted, like, like me. You remember that? I remember see, looking at a tree and being able to see all the little leaves. I remember looking at the road and seeing the, just the detail in the road. and It was like this whole new world came to, came to my mind, came to my vision. I'd forgotten, actually, that there was this world that existed out there. Um, enabled me to, to see again. See, the thing is, you don't, you don't really know what you're missing, until you put on those, those glasses. Same with the Spirit. You, until the Spirit allows you to see the truth about who we are, who God is, you, you just can't see the detail uh, that he shows you. Um, and some of that stuff is actually hard to see sometimes. Um, there's a lot to see about who we are. Um, one of the things we see is that we're sinners in need of God, in need of new life. Need of the, the light that, in need of the light that Jesus brings. Uh, in just a few chapters uh, uh, from, from John 14 and John 16 and 8, Jesus says, When he comes, speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict. That's what the Spirit does in the vision he gives us. He, he convicts us of our sin, our need. Think of Acts 2 during Pentecost. When the Spirit comes, what's one of the first, thing that hap- first things that happens when the Spirit comes is enables the uh, uh, disciples to speak in many languages, and then uh, Peter 
gives, gives this inspired sermon and all the peoples are cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart. The spirit convicts. They, they're able to see the truth of their guilt before God. You may think that this is sort of a negative thing, but it's actually the start of liberation, the beginning of repentance. Being convicted of sin, I think the angels rejoice when this happens because it's, it's necessary uh, for our, our path towards wholeness and healing, forgiveness. Conviction means that your heart's actually beating, that it's open. Conviction's the diagnosis that allows you to get the treatment that you need. So how does the spirit convict? We don't talk about spirit conviction much these days. It used to be a huge topic in the church. Probably, they probably overkilled it a little bit. But the spirit is still convicting, leading us to repentance. And you may have a sense of sorrow or guilt over something. That's one way in which the spirit can convict. It may just be an awareness of your sin and of the great holiness of God and your inability to stand in his holy presence with righteousness that's like filthy rags. It could be more of an intellectual thing, just realizing uh, that you're doing something wrong or God wants you to do something new. Maybe you feel it in your body. Maybe you're losing sleep. Conviction comes in different forms. It could be a sort of holy restlessness. When I feel convicted, I usually feel weight on me. It feels like somebody put a weight on my back. It was just an awareness of your incompleteness. You need of God's completion. This happens, you know, uh, we often talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit leading to, one, putting initial faith in Jesus, of deciding to follow Jesus, of deciding to, to um, uh, call him your Lord. So it happens in our initial conversion, but I think the Spirit continues to convict uh, that in all different phases of our journey with Jesus, the Spirit is longing to bring us into new life, wanting to bring us to greater truth and clarity about who we are and, again, who God is, so that we might be transformed by the Spirit. So I want to ask you, and I ask this to myself as well, is there anything the Spirit is convicting you of right now? Have you stilled yourself enough to hear the Spirit speaking? It could be something that you're doing that God does not want you to be doing. It could be something that you're not doing that God wants you to be doing. I remember uh, in college, I, I had this conviction, this weight, that I needed to get out of the comfortable little college bubble and go tutor in Oakland. And it was phenomenal. But I, I remember for a couple of weeks putting it off, but I just couldn't, I, I just, I had this weight. The Spirit was convicting me. Get out of this, this inactivity uh, towards something I have for you. And God, there's a whole story behind there of what God did when I just simply followed the Spirit, saying, okay, I'm going to follow your conviction and do this. The Spirit's always desiring to bring you in the world life through the conviction that he gives you. It's a disaster to not be open to the Spirit's convicting power in our lives. So what are you not doing that you should be doing? And what are you doing that you shouldn't be? Don't try to manufacture it. Just be attentive. 
The Spirit does so much, so much more in terms of bringing light and truth to, to our situation. Doesn't, the Spirit, does, he doesn't just convict. He also just brings us light and guidance to, to whatever we're doing. Uh, practically, Jesus is giving these instructions to his disciples because he's about to leave. He's not going to be with them. He needs them to know that he uh, will send this, the Father will send the Spirit through him to give them guidance on what to do now that Jesus is gone. Uh, they just need to know what to do. So the Spirit can give us insight into decisions that are big and small, um, how we might best use our lives in this world. I've really been, uh, I guess, impressed and really just delighted by the spiritual discernment process uh, we've used a couple times uh, in our church, in our, our, our board meetings, uh, how we allow space for the Spirit to speak to us. It's a really amazing concept when you just allow the Spirit space to speak. We forget that simple task sometimes. But every time I've done that, um, it hasn't always been easy. But I've always left thinking, how could we have really gone anywhere without having done that? It's always worthwhile. We think we can figure it out because we're pretty smart. Uh, the Spirit's a lot smarter. He knows us better than we could ever know ourselves. So, in the Spirit, I, I just want to mention quickly, the Spirit can actually help you understand somebody else's situation as well. Um, but this is, can be dangerous. It's dangerous to go up to somebody and say, God told me this about your situation. I don't recommend doing that. But I've had experiences where people have asked me questions that I just kind of knew were from God. Or God's given me questions. I, I remember one time talking to a student, and I heard God say, ask her about her brother. I said, how's your brother doing? She's like, why are you asking me about my brother? How did he know to ask me about that? You know, and then this kind of whole thing came out about what her brother was going through. And so there's stuff like that where the Spirit can bring us knowledge about um, not only who we are, but kind of what others are going through as well. But don't use it as a coercive tool. It could be really uh, damaging. Questions always work better than saying, God is telling me to say this. Though, I, I, I got to admit that that's happened before as well and, and brought me life. But just be cautious with it. Finally, um, the Spirit allows us not just to know ourselves, but as I've been saying, the Spirit enables us to know the truth about who God is. And what is the truth about God? Jesus says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. It is impossible for the Spirit to testify to any other truth than the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ. The Spirit always is in alignment with Jesus. The truth we are led to will always have the character, the shape, the light of Jesus infused into it. Just as when we have seen the Father, we've seen Jesus, the Spirit will reflect the heart of Jesus. And we can see the heart of Jesus uh, reflected in Scripture. So we see the truth of who we are as sinners, but we see the marvelous truth of God's grace in Jesus Christ, the God who is forgiving, loving, and gracious. The truth always has the contours of John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the truth. That's the truth. That's, that's everything the Spirit is leading you towards is encapsulated in that. God's saving work in Jesus Christ. Whatever, it's big decisions, small decisions, relationships. The Spirit wants to bring Jesus into that. His saving work, his life, his light. 
The Spirit's pointing to Jesus. And again, it's uh, not just knowledge about Jesus, it's relational knowing. I gotta read these revolutionary verses from, uh, from John, uh, just a few chapters up. Um, 16, 14. He will glorify me, the Spirit, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Check this out. This is Jesus uh, speaking. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit takes what is Jesus and gives it to you, declares it. That is amazing. I love that Jesus has given us through the Spirit. It's not just knowing about, it's knowing. And the deepest part of who we are. We are meant to live truthfully. If you want to live an honest life, a truthful life, live it through the truth, Jesus Christ. We are meant to live through him. That's how we're, we're meant to live. So I, I want to end, um, I'm aware of the time, I just want to end with a brief minute of silence, and then I'll pray. In that time, I encourage you to ask the Spirit, what am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? What am I not doing that I should be doing? I invite you to take this minute of silence. Holy Spirit, you are our comforter who brings us to the truth. Thanks for being with us always, forever. Help us to live lives led by you, with the shape and contour of the, the truth that is in Jesus Christ. Help us to listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.